Boom. Welcome back. We're back. Okay, just checking in. We're live. I hope everyone enjoyed the last one. I hope it lived up to the expectation of all the hype that we talked about with JC coming on. I don't know, but I really felt good after that one. I think we, we ended that podcast on that love fest, just hugging hugging it out virtually with each yeah, other. I, uh, I think we want it. We want to go more for for that. So, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, we can we can build off that. Yeah. Well, it's nice to checking in. A lot ha- has happened since then. Um, but you know, let's let's stick to the positive where we're going to go with shit. I don't understand. Like, I guess maybe I'm the only one that's getting hit with this news, which is Brass Rails is closing down after X amount of years. So shit I don't understand is who the hell wants to live in downtown Toronto when hot establishments such as Brass Rails is closing down on Young Street? I don't know how, if you've gone down any anywhere past South of Lake Bloor in the last few years. I don't I've actually been downtown. Probably... Our classless um, listeners, what is the Brass Rail? What are we talking about? <laughs> it is one of the, the finest establishment that Toronto has to bring. You know, it has a fine, fine history of attracting um, great athletes such as um, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Alex Rodriguez, where they... But, but what is but what is this place? Is this place a fi- uh, a five star hotel? Is it is it a, a Michelin star restaurant? What is the brass rail? It is where women get to be their most empowered being, where they get their cold hard cash off off of men out of their hand and into their I guess they don't have pockets because they're barely wearing anything. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a strip club. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm the only one that's been affected by this. Now uh, I I frequent several strip clubs in in the GTA area. Unfortunately, Brass Rails I've never got a chance to go to. Um, so yeah, I, I got I guess I'm kind of sad because with this whole COVID situation, I'll never be able to go and go and check out this fine establishment and actually see what what the hoopla is all about for all these years. Um, as I mean, with the whole thing uh, of it closing down, I guess it has its own legacy, its own history. Uh, it's it's uh, um, I guess set the bar in your mind in terms of I guess setting the standard for the industry. I don't know. It's hard to say because like, there's I've no never intended replacement. Well. <laughs> Well, there's, yeah. there's several replacements, I guess. But, I mean, when you think of down to, like, Toronto Strip Club or whatever the case might be, um, you're thinking Brass Grills, you're thinking Zanzibar. Those are the two that people pop up and, and think about because they're so prominent due to the fact they're on Young Street. Yeah, and those ones are so, quote-unquote, big. Like, they're big. They're well-known. They're prominent. You're almost afraid to go... <laughs> Logic behind that. You're afraid. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm not really a frequenter of those establishments. I mean, I, I go along for, you know, bachelor parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go, you go into like a, a, a C tier club, gentlemen's club, you know, that um, you, know, you have a certain uh, I, I don't know. Um, not allowed to say stuff like that anymore. Apparently. <laughs> you kind of set your budget going in, but the place. Oh yeah. Uh, I imagine that that place knows how to rake in the money. Like I said, if you're rolling up in there, you're probably one of the higher rollers in that sense, because you're on young street, you know, you're going to pay. I guess those ones typically get the best talents or quote unquote best talents. But this is a sidetrack. This 
this whole thing isn't about the fact that the strip club's going down. It's just, it's a small part, but a big part in a, in a sense, just because when you think, when you think back in, in the earlier part of Toronto, I'm thinking like the nineties or whatever, when we, we would be first time traveling downtown by ourselves or whatever, when we're in grade eight. And so I trust kids, you see strip club, you're going to giggle and look at it. And those are like those kind of memories of what downtown is like. You have Young Street being full of smaller businesses. You have different shops. You can go into a karate slash weapon shop or something like that. Um, but with all this real estate development, like the high rise going on, all these shops are going away. You're going to lose some of that stuff. And you're going to all you're going to get is going to be shoppers, drug smart or Sobe, urban you know, the typical standard corporate stores that you're going to get replaced in all these other smaller business, just because the fact that the rent itself is so humongous. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of see your, your point there. This is a really um, crazy time right now. And the world's undergoing some sort of shift and, you know, these businesses can't survive. But on the other hand, I mean, look at us and how old we are. Um, it's not like we're going to go out there partying anyways. You know, one last hurrah, the expendables go out for one last, like, party. Maybe we'll save it for, you know, the time I get married. By the time I get married, Brasser will be back. <laughs> um, but I think also I, there's there's a degree of kind of temporary back in and um, um, it's all the same thing um, after what is it is the nineteen eighteen flu um in like North America, probably <laughs> they had prohibition during that era too. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, people people did not stop partying during that time, right? Yeah, you're thinking it just came back like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> the flappers, you know, you had a girl showing her ankles over there. People <laughs> throwing their bills down. that's true like um i think there's a lot of factors in in terms of um, when you think about the roaring 20s and whatnot you hear about a lot of people talking about it you know we're going to come out of this pandemic better because we rely on what we know in the past um which is like you mentioned 1918 which is the most you know recent pandemic which was a century ago um I don't know if that's going to be the case just because with this whole 1918, it was just so many things involved when you talk about soldiers coming back from World War One, And, you know, that's when really World War One, the whole country of like U.S. having to militarize in a sense where their economy became heavily invested in war production, right? A lot of people we're making money in that sense. And then you also have women going out of the workforce and then finally kind of their suffrage and all that stuff going on and getting their, their rights, a little bit of their rights and the ability to go out and party and stuff. Maybe we'll see it. We'll see it because everyone's so locked up and especially in this kind of era where everyone's so FOMO and all that shit, just, they just want to go out and spend money. And all we've been doing is just sitting at home buying Amazon shit. Yeah, pretty much. I think, you know, with the whole, um, you know, economic shift that happened um, during and after World War One. I, I mean, that mentality and that economic shift hasn't changed in the United States. There's still like, you know, military and war um, still generate so much in terms of like, you know, revenue, you know, they're making people rich off of that. Um, but in terms of people returning back to entertainment. Like these days we have countless entertainment options now. 
Um, you know, back in the twenties, whatever people, kids were like pushing a hoop with a stick <laughs> and like, you know, doing all those like shitty playing with wooden <laughs> like, toys and shit. But now there's so many, like there's so many entertainment options. Um, there, there's got, there's gotta be a way that people are going to get back to it. People are going to be hungry to get back to it. Um, people can't sit there watching Netflix forever. thing so um they say it's okay and everyone's got the vaccine ever and we're in the clear you i think you're going to see a resurgence but it also takes uh, people that have uh the courage to actually start these businesses uh a lot of businesses went under right so now we need people to step up and take their place um are there people that actually have the capital and are I guess, more risk averse to actually step into that void. I'm just more like thinking there might be people that are willing to do it, but they also got to understand, like, this is a good, it's a good wake up call in terms of like how prepared are we as a society, not just in Canada, but like globally speaking to be able to cooperate and handle another wave. Like this is just a reminder that, you know, viruses and disease isn't just you know, bound by battle, like borders for like places like Africa or India. We've been lucky like our entire life. We've been kind of sheltered and we have this kind of barrier, the ocean to thinking like we can block it out. Like we don't have too much worry about Ebola, um, West Nile and, and stuff like that. We hear about it in the news every single year. Um, but it's not something, it's not a reality that we have to kind of live with. Well, they put a lot of restrictions in uh, to uh, restrict travel, but still these variants are spreading and all it takes is one person getting through to spread a variant. So, I mean, uh, short of having an entire world in complete lockdown with all borders enforced, um, I don't think this from happening. And we look at BC and, you know, using the, the context of sports, because it's pretty much all I consume these days. Um, you know, BC is in a lot of trouble. They have a lot of, of the Brazilian variant there. And the Vancouver Canucks hockey team now has like half their, t- more than half their team testing positive. And I believe it's the Brazilian variant as well. So they're shut down completely. They're throwing a wrench in a lot of uh, the NHL schedule now. Mm-hmm. Um you know, more important than that, you know, these players, their lives, their family, or whatever, they're are really affected um, by by all of that, and maybe their future career as well. Well, they can take solace that one of the more premier players that the NHL has, Austin Matthew, had to had to bid, still performing at top shape, probably the you know, arguably the best scorer in the NHL right now. So, you know, we, we hear about a lot of these stories in the news, um, you know, telling you all younger people are affected by this variant more so than, than last time. Um, who knows? Well, we're not scientists. We don't know. I know we, we read, read about these stuff on the internet, but how, how deep are we going into it, right? We're, we're not checking it. Like last time I read... The most recent book I read was The Great Influenza, which is 1918, uh, the Spanish flu. And they said it was scary because a lot more younger people were dying from it. You know, people with influenza, it's been around forever. They just think, yeah, influenza, the older generation typically die because their immune system's weaker. They just can't um, defend the viral, the secondary viral or the virus coming in. But... 1918, it was just more so that strain of influenza was so prevalent that it attacked your lung. But when you're a young person, our immune system is so strong that it did its work, but it did it too well to a point where it's basically nuclear warfare on your lungs. It just cleared it all out. It killed the virus, but it left it so vulnerable for everything else that you end up dying. And that's why young people die. I'm not sure if this is the same case. Obviously, it's not the same because the mortality rate isn't as high, right? You're not looking at, you know, you get it, chances are you might die. <laughs> like, Harry, you know, you get it, 
yeah. you, you have a chance of dying, but that chance is like around like one, one percent, two percent. But you just get your ass kicked. And then they also talk about the long haulers. I don't know. Long haulers right now has just been been a year, but in the book itself, they talked about long haulers as well for the, for like the Spanish flu. They're saying how some of these lungs never came back, which is the same case of here. But then they also said the fevers were so so high, it ran so high that it pretty much like messed up people's brain. Some people got like they they were delirious, and even afterwards when they beeped the influenza, <laughs> they did apparently they had an issue with thinking properly. And they're saying even with global politics, the U.S. president at the time got got the Spanish flu. Uh, Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, I believe. Uh, but yeah, he was negotiating that that peace treaty. But he was so sick and delirious that he agreed to terms that pretty much set in place for the next world war. Which is yeah, you know, France and UK wanted them to blame everything on on Germany. But initially, he was like, yeah, we can't do that because we do that, we're gonna you know, make them so angry and their society is going to be so pissed off. They're going to come right back, which, which was the case, <laughs> set the stage for Hitler. So anyways, that Spanish flu killed a lot more people indirectly than we know. Interesting. Interesting bit of facts. Um, yeah. I mean, it looks like the Spanish flu was, um, you know, one version of the L curve and a COVID is kind of the opposite L curve where the older generation is kind of the higher mortality. And then you've got, you know, the lower generation or the younger generation that has like almost no symptoms at all, or, you know, they can only spread. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, a virus really, um, the fact that that COVID is generally less deadly is to the virus's advantage, right? Like virus doesn't want to kill people. Well, I mean, I'm not, it's not a sentient being. What I'm saying is it's more advantageous to the virus to not kill yeah. its host and to allow it to spread, right? So that's what makes this one more um, uh, enduring, right? And this one makes it much more serious. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think there's a lot of like a lot of issues with. I think we're pivoting away from. Oh, we were just talking to Sarah about this. Or Canada's kind of pivoting, and I feel like a lot of society or a lot of countries will have to do the same thing, which is, you know, pivoting away from saying, you know, the, the vaccines are are way out of this to actually now the issue is actually getting people to take the vaccine, which is the U.S. problem, because they're going to get to a point very soon, much quicker than they anticipated, where they're going to have more supplies than demand for it, because so many people are not actually even taking it. Yeah, and the United States is doing a much better job, at least on paper, than Canada is at deploying the vaccine. Of course, their um, their, their country is 10 times larger than us uh, in terms of population, um, but they seem to be doing a better job. I know Ontario is kind of struggling. Um, Toronto, I know that they've opened it up now to, a six, I think, 60-plus um, population, um, but, I mean, they have thousands of spots that they're not able to fill on the appointment um, schedule. I don't know if it's a website or an app or something. Um, that might be part of the problem. The older generation is not going on a website, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not surprising to me that, you know, Ontario and Toronto are struggling at this. And from a technology standpoint and from a deployment standpoint, it just I think we put people in these positions that don't have the first clue about how to execute a plan. Well, you know, I hate to friggin' rag on on Ford all the time, but you hate you hate to come on. I love you love to. Yeah, well, I'm trying to turn a new leaf and try and be a little, not not positive, but trying to avoid stuff that I don't like. And but you read about it, and like this guy is just. You know, he he went on, I think, the presser during this week complaining about how, you know, the vaccine, you know, the federal government's been fucking it up. You know, we don't have any vaccine, you know, the state and all that shit. And then Trudeau went out recently and I think one of those virtual fundraiser dinner kind of stuff and was took a shot at, at Ford and just said, like, you know, like our procurement minister or whatever or the minister who's involved, who's responsible to procure all these vaccines, 
you know, she's managed to go initially when they talked about having vaccines. We're looking at what this time, like in April, uh, we should get six million doses. Uh, and she over delivered. She got nine million. So here is Ford out here complaining about this shit. <laughs> but they actually got more than than promised. She, he, you know, the federal government was able to procure more. And then so, you know what, then Ford, the media was asking them, hey, you know, like, this is what Trudeau said. And Air Ford in front of the cameras, you know, how he turns around, talks like this, you know, folks, <laughs> not that, folks, let's not bicker. You know, let's not talk, you know, let's not have this family fight in front of everyone and all that shit because he had nothing to say. And then at nighttime, like a little weasel bitch he is, he goes on Twitter and he goes and blasts like, oh, this area here in Ontario doesn't have enough. And, you know, took a shot at, at Trudeau. I'm like, dude, man, just sit your ass, lick your wound and just get to work. Get to work. Get to work like how all your fucking stupid infomercial is all about. You know, it's time to roll up my sleeve. Oh, show my baby fat rolls. And then do my work, take the vaccine and all that shit. Anyways, this guy just frustrates me. But the sad part is I'm thinking if we had like a, a more liberal government or like NDP or liberal, is this going to be any better? Who knows? Like in a sense, like is there going to be more lockdown? Because if you think about it, a more liberal government typically leans towards a faster lockdown or right? like we'll lock everything down. And I guess an overreaction. So like now I'm thinking a conservative government would be trying to push and make sure everything's done a little bit more tighter ship and not closing down on purpose. And if this is the option that we have, oh, fuck. Fuck us. Yeah, I think, you know, more conservatives try to say that they're going to run. We're going to run X like a business, either the country or the province or the city or whatever. Um, I'd hate to see the business that's run like this. Um, just with the kind of lack of a of a, a solid plan, and you know, when you have a business, right, you have to be able to sell people on the product that you want, product product or service that you want them to to buy, right? Uh, here we have this vaccine um, by the miracle of modern day science, developed and given to us, um, regardless of you know whether we have the full supply or you know half the supply or whatever, there's thousands of spots that are not being filled. So um, there's obviously a communication problem with that. Uh, how are they not conveying to people that if they get the vaccine, they'll be able to do X, Y, and Z? We know that, you know, it's not necessarily carte blanche. You can't go get the vaccine and then, you know, basically walk around without a mask in a store or whatever. You can't do that. Um, but you need to do a better job of selling people on not just for yourself, getting the vaccine will um, benefit you. But if more and more people get the vaccine or a certain percentage of people get the vaccine, we can reach herd immunity faster, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're just not doing a good job of selling the end goal, right? People are, are really hesitant of vaccines. People aren't going to necessarily volunteer to take it. Uh, I know we have people that are like that, but convincing so convince them yeah i agree i think it's more so the, the the past couple of years right with the whole you know facebook having people forward and you know send out or share articles that might not be true might not be real uh like the facts aren't aren't correct there and it seems like to be like a perfect storm where <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was taking all the vaccines. Like, granted, I was—I don't take the annual flu shot, um, but you know, all my vaccine vaccine records all up to date. Um, it's just a perfect storm in terms of right here, where we are finally we're able to get a vaccine. We just don't do it. I was mentioning to Sarah, the best way to do it is open it all up so everyone can get it right now. And hear me out—you're probably thinking shit. What about the old people? FOMO. FOMO is the greatest cure of everything. People would do shit because they fear, you know, of missing out. So you open it up, then there's going to be a huge, huge demand for it. And supply is going to be hard to meet. So at least you're going to use up the vaccine, whoever wants to get it. Because right now there's, what is it? I think they started releasing it uh, where you can get vaccines in pharmacy. 
because they had like the AstraZeneca one where it was expiring at the end of March. <laughs> they had to like, you know, get it, get it into people's arm or they have to toss it out, right? Because it would be non effective. So maybe this FOMO idea could work. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um, groups does help. And from that standpoint, you have it for the older generation right now, but I know that they're, they're looking at it from one standpoint and one strategy. The, the one strategy is this is our older generation. They're more vulnerable. Um, if they were to get COVID, chances of them surviving are less, right? So let's get this, them the shots right now. On the other hand, though, you have younger generations that are more, just by their nature and by their lives, more able to spread COVID mm-hmm. because they're more out there and involved in things. Right. So let's get them, let's get them the shots because they are the ones that are probably spreading COVID right now. Um, you know, when you look at their activity, like they're out and active, they're out shopping, they're teachers, they're essential workers, they're out there. So let's get them that. And also, if you, again, back to this whole running things like a business, if you get some private sector cooperation, you talked about the whole FOMO thing, the whole social media thing know whether this privacy rights or anything like that but quantity of drop points if you post to social media that you uh, I guess you take a selfie of you getting the vaccine mm-hmm. and you're going to get like uh, points in I, I actually don't have it installed so I don't know exactly what the points can get you probably some Mm -hmm. merchandise, but uh, something like that where you partner with the private sector so that there's incentives for actually getting it. Because this is where we're at now, right? People need to say what's in it for me, not just the health of the entire human race. You need to give a swag. They need some monetary compensation. Yes. It's not monetary. You just need to have a keychain and then where where you will never use it. I have so much swag that's just fucking cinnamon wrapped and it's hard to to toss it. but yeah, I've been doing yeah. some cleaning up and just tossing things out. It's just, I just think like, oh, you know, if I toss it, it goes to the landfill. But then if I don't toss it, my house is the landfill. Um, anyways, <laughs> but yeah, like, um, I think a lot of the times it seems like, you know, if you open it to like a younger generation, the younger generation takes it. They don't have the side effects. They don't see the side effects because there's some hesitancy in regards to some people who take it because they're not sure about what the side effects are. And if, you know, everyone should understand, like even with the flu shot, you get, you get sick a little bit just for the fact that you're putting something in there, you create an antibody. That's how it works. Um, you know, everyone talks about, Oh, you, you know, hope my arm gets sore because obviously they freaking just freaking punctured your body, broke through all your, your skin to go through. You're going to have, you're going to experience some soreness because maybe it might even hit bone. Who knows? Um, but the main thing is... I feel like those excuses are so weak. I know. Like, I just, I feel like, dude, like, at our age, you sleep wrong and you wake up and you're in pain. So you're saying you shouldn't sleep, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, it's kind of pointless. You can ride out that pain. I mean, for God's sakes, if you have a night of heavy drinking, you wake up the next day, you're going to feel like shit for a day, but a day, I don't see people days. putting down the bottle. Well, yeah, I mean, after age 30, you multiply that by like two. <laughs> yeah. The half-life of like the alcohol in your body actually drops by two. So it takes double the, yeah. uh, double the time to kind of go leave your body. Um, like, yeah. Like, l- let me give you the example. Like I am preparing for summer and springtime. I bought myself a patio set. And I was like putting it together, sitting on the ground, putting the chairs together, like putting the table together or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like all that sitting on the ground, like cross-legged, like assembling stuff. Dude, I feel like I just went to war. <laughs> <laughs> My body is destroyed from assembling furniture. This is because of the lack of activity. Yeah. So, I mean, anything worthwhile is going to hurt at least a little bit afterwards, right? Like it's, you just got to grin and bear it. 
Yeah. I don't know. Like, the whole, the, that excuse of, like, you know, I get really, you know, really sick and all that stuff. Okay, well, but it's just a controlled, it's a controlled sickness, right? If you're talking about, you know, my bigger concern about it would be, like, okay, what does it mean, you know, further down the line? Let's talk about this, like, uh, the Pfizer one, the mRNA vaccine. They talk about they're injecting in a code where your body, you know, your system starts producing this protein. I'm like, okay, so does this code have, have a timer where it expires, <laughs> where you stop making it? Or, you know, does it, is it just injected in me and it's just got to be continuously making it for the rest of my life? I don't know. But, I mean, I don't know, you know, what would the risk of, of that be? Obviously, you know, they've done all their trials or whatever, and they're reasonably sure after doing the phase three trials that all of this is, is above board. But, I mean, they don't have, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years mm-hmm. to, like, look into the future and say, okay, what is the effect of this? Yeah, but, but sometimes that's the thing, right? Like, it's just like you, you have – you know, the human body is like such a tricky thing. Like, as you can say, like, like you mentioned, we're like 30. So we, you know, when we do something to our body, we might feel good. You know, let's just say we stretch something or we'll stretch our back. We, we might do a stretch that might get our back feel good, but who knows if we continuously do that, we might tweak something else somewhere else because the stretch might not actually be completely kosher. We, you know, it's not just, it's not, it, it won't agree with you all the way. It, it can work one one area of your body, but it can fuck up somewhere else. It's, it's so complicated. We just don't understand how it works. That's that's the only hesitancy of it all, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, I've seen a slow turn. It seems like a lot of people are kind of, you know, are on board with getting the vaccine now at this point. Um, it's been a couple of months, you know, U.S. been launching it. Um, and you know, like, if the people out in Israel are taking it, and Lord knows they don't, they don't just re- randomly take any substance into their body. You know, they're willing to kind of take this vaccine and apparently it's working really well over there. I don't see why we shouldn't be doing it here too. Yeah. And they've had to probably answer a bunch of questions um, about, you know, what's in the vaccine and is this vaccine in accordance with my, um, <laughs> you know, my, my holy, um, beliefs and and part of it is a joke part of it is for real because i think they've had to also explain to uh, people of the muslim faith Mm -hmm. that um you know what's in this other like what's in this vaccine is it animal products like they've had to explain it and they should explain it because you want you want people to take it so all these questions should be answered they should be sitting down in these brainstorming sessions like um, you do in the business world and say, okay, well, what are the, all the possible questions we can answer about this to get people to take it and then fucking answer those questions? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, but the problem is you have government doing this marketing of the vaccine, which is horrible. But I, I, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I think I, think I mentioned on the previous pod um, or, you know, one other that I think there's going to be a whole new industry being built out of this, a whole new line of education. There'll be like, you know, master's degrees and maybe undergraduate degrees for pandemic management for real. I think Uh, this is going to spur so many different new industries. That's public health. We need, we're going to need, we're more specialized public health because we honestly look at what, look at what has happened. (laughs) Right. I think we need more of a, we need more of a focus, right? We need people that, and not, not even just public health, um, private sector too. I think this is going to spur some new industries and you need people that need to become the experts on it, right? I mean, just look at something like, for example, cybersecurity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, no one gave a shit about cybersecurity when it was Windows 95, right? That shit could not even connect to the internet. Yeah. Um, but now as technology evolved and things got more intricate, but also um, things improve for the better, but also things um, improve for the uh, malevolent forces out there. Um, we needed more increased cybersecurity, and that's how all these industries got, got built, right? That's how we have all this VPN and 
and all that stuff that's now really prominent. It's on the tip of people's tongues. You wouldn't have been able to get people to, to, to know about VPNs probably 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I can see it. I, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense in terms of uh, the separate industry that you're, you're explaining. There's got to be... Yeah, private... There's got to be a way to, to come up with this whole, you know, we have to come up with like contact tracing and the whole privacy thing is such a huge thing. That, that's a money, that's a money machine right there. You can come up with it now, like not for, not, maybe not for COVID, but you come up with a program that's, that's good. That's an app that you can install across without having to turn on, you know, without having people to relying on people to turn on Bluetooth or something like that. Maybe NFC, something that's already running in the background that people don't really know about. The current one that we have in Canada requires you to turn on GPS and Bluetooth and all that. Uh, I am OCD on my on my battery usage. And so I always turn that shit off all the time. Uh, yeah. And also I don't want Google to know where I'm at all the time. But they, they also yeah. clearly they know where I am, but it's just creepy when you leave it on. They'll know your daily schedule. Like, if assuming I was working in an office, they'll know nine to five. I go to the office, and when it comes four thirty, they'll drop a notification and tell me, "Oh, your usual route is uh, is delayed. There's more more traffic than usual, or your train is delayed, or some shit like that." I'm like, ah, that's that's a little bit too much for me. Some people dig that shit. I, I'm slowly going. Yeah, it can be helpful. It could be helpful, but also, I mean, if you don't want that, if you can think for yourself and want to think for yourself, that's not all that useful um, in the end, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, this this kind of leads in perfectly to another thing, subject I want to talk about um, when we talk about privacy, right? I, I don't know if you've heard of um, a documentary called The Dissident. No. Have you ever heard of the documentary Icarus? Yes. Uh, I haven't watched it. Have you watched it yourself? Yep, I have. Okay. Icarus is on the Russian doping scandal. Yep. So that was like a huge, I think it won an Oscar or Academy Award, or some, some top award for exposing that whole doping scandal, right? So you would imagine like the director of that Icarus documentary this next project's going to just get just as much fanfare, if not more, just with the success that Icarus had. So Dustin is, is his next project or his most recent project. And it was regarding the assassination of that, um, was it the Saudi Arabian, you know, the guy that got killed? Uh, Jam- Jamal Khashoggi. Yes, he got, he got assassinated right? in, in an embassy in, in Turkey. So it, this is the film. But like Netflix didn't buy rights to it. It's funny because Icarus is one of their most viewed um, film or media on their platform. They didn't buy this. And there's this whole discussion about the fact that because nobody, no platform like Hulu, HBO, none of the streaming platforms wants to touch this and buy the rights to it because of the whole connection with the Saudi Arabia, like that that area. They don't want to go and ruffle any feathers and cause any issue with them because this is pretty much exposing what's going on with with the way that they deal with everything, right? I kind of want to watch it. And so this ties together in a sense like, is it dangerous for people like us to watch a documentary like like that? Because let's just say, I don't know if I'll, I'll get a chance to travel to Saudi Arabia. It's, it might not be my top five destination to go to once this restriction lifts, right? But let's say down the line, if I do want to go there, would they have that piece of information to show that, you know, this guy went and rented this, actually spent his money and purchased this documentary and read about it? Because it's the same shit, like how you don't want to have too much history about it. You viewing the Chinese Communist Party and all that shit, just because you don't want them to have any trace of you criticizing that and then in case you ever travel through china you don't want to get pulled over and become one of the michaels you know i'll just be michael michael lincoln you know stuck in stuck in china in one of the prison yeah i mean i don't know about that um i don't know if they're actually going to be mining 
Netflix data to, to see whether you've watched that documentary or not. Um, I mean, it's probably well within their capabilities to search that out and like, but they'd have to connect all the dots and is it even worth it? Like you could have watched it and not liked it. Right. Um, like what are they going to do really? Like what kind of, like they would probably have to assess what kind of threat is this person as well. They wouldn't just stop at looking at that data. They would say, okay, well, what else is this person saying? Are they politically active are they organizing something like, are they actually um, of Middle Eastern descent? Because that might be, you know, um, something to factor in. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they get one look at you, they're like, no, nope, not a threat. Um, <laughs> and that would be it. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not sure where you were going to go with this point, but the whole uh, streaming service is not carrying in it. Are you, Yeah, that, that's another point that that was kind of a piggyback off of it. Um, yeah, in terms of realistically, <laughs> the it just seems like it's controlled, right? Like the media is controlled. What can you say? Because money plays a huge part of it, and now it's kind of showing rare in its head. But is that not a, a capitalist business decision by these companies to say? I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want this heat. I don't want this smoke. I will not have this on my service, right? It's a private business decision. If all of them get together and and decide not to show it, it might be some form of collusion. Sure. It might have some outside influence. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's capitalism. They can do as they please. Okay. Let's just, let's take another subject and apply it to the same, same situation. Let's say if someone actually has legit footage and did its research and did a whole documentary on, say, the Uyghur situation in China, and if Netflix, you know, decides they don't want to touch it because, you know, that's a couple billion of people subscriber in China and they want to keep that subscriber base, um, do you think there's going to be more of an uproar? Um, quite possibly. Um, we know for sure Disney Plus ain't touching that because Disney has bowed down to the Chinese more than on more than one occasion. Um, I, I'm not convinced, and this is going to sound really harsh. I'm not convinced that the world really cares about the Uyghurs at this point. Um, hell, you know, look at what's happening in Myanmar right now. Yeah. Right and. That shit is not even front page news anymore. It was for a few days. Now it's not. I just think right now is probably the perfect time for these nefarious state actors or non-state actors to pull shit like this because the world is, is occupied right now with COVID. You know, I'm not convinced that these social causes are capturing people's attention. And, and I'm trying to think back. people's attention, right? I mean, the Hong Kong protests got some, um, got some airtime, you know, every day. I'm still not convinced North America was on board with, you know, really caring and supporting about that. Um, I can't think of, I really can't think of anything else that people kind of got behind. The whole Indian farmers thing was popular for two days here. It, it, it's just, you know, I think we somewhat overestimate people's capacity for caring about foreign nations. Well, you forgot about the Black Lives Matter with the Floyd, George Floyd killing. I mean, that's closer to home, right? That's that's in the USA. And also, um, you know, let's not pretend that that shit doesn't happen in Canada, too. Yeah, but like I think that's a little bit closer to home. People still kind of do, do the march here. You know, you also have UK sports like say the EPL, the English Premier League, they're doing the whole Black Lives Matter where everyone takes a knee right before kickoff. They don't do the national anthem, but then, you know, they get to, to center field, everyone goes on one knee, five seconds, two seconds, or whatever, get back up, 
That's a protest. I'll be remiss. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy about this thing. <laughs> you were just talking about Myanmar, Uyghurs, HK, uh, protests. North Americans don't care about Asian news. You know, I was on the fence. I wasn't sure if I want to talk about it. I didn't want to know if I want to bring it up, this whole anti-Asian hate movement that's going on right now. Same thing. They don't care. This is this is home. <laughs> this is we're talking about people in in San Francisco, like the West Coast, like California, where there's a huge population of Asian people there. Vancouver, Toronto, huge population, and people are experiencing this hate. Where there was a bit of a delay. I, I thought this would be a lot more sooner, just with the COVID and Trump back a year ago calling this virus the Chinese virus. Or the China virus, China, um, and yeah, it's just I don't know how I feel about it. I, I get it. I don't know if it's about stepping up and, and talking about my own experience in that. But what kind of irks me is the fact that you know, BL, BLM movement was going around. You know, everyone was hopping on board. Everyone's doing it. You have celebrities coming out being you know, Black Lives Matter and all that. Oh, I get it. But where is this, where is the support in the pop culture scene from players like maybe LeBron James? Come on, like step up and say something. You you always pride it yourself. You know, you're not going to just dribble a ball. I'm going to talk about social causes. And this is one of them. You have Chinese fans. You know, you have some say. You bring it up and you, you talk about it. It's like Jeremy Lin a couple of weeks ago in the game. He didn't come out and he didn't go and wreck and get this one player canceled because some other player in this D-League dropped some derogatory term like Chinese calling him a coronavirus or some China virus on the court. You know, he didn't go out and publicly name that player. He could have done it. And that guy's done. His career would be over. But where, where's that? It doesn't come up. No one's talking about it. Like nobody in the NBA is talking about stepping up and helping Jeremy Lin out and, you know, you know defending him. You don't get that kind of news, and that's what's kind of like pissing me off. Yeah, and I wonder if you know part of that is, um, and it is kind of bad to say or sad to say or whatever. It's just this is all so new, and I'm not making excuses for it. But I mean, new as in like Black Lives speaking up, right? Oh no, I, I don't mean like that. I mean. Like the, I know that Asian people have faced racism for a long time, probably for definitely for as long as they've been around North America, right? Um, you know, mostly the same experience for for Black people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the experience that uh, Black American, Black North Americans have faced, it's it's more mature. Um, you know, it's it's to the point where, okay, well, you know, the British or other nations grabbed you from your home, brought you to, you know, North America and the Caribbean islands, used you as slave labor. Then they fought wars over whether they can keep you enslaved. Um, one side won the war, but then, like, the whole system is set up for you to, to still fail up until this day, right? They've got the whole prison system that is set up to jail you um, for certain things where you're trying to just live day to day and the system's been stacked against you. Of course, you're going to do things that are against the law to, you know, survive day to day. Um, All that is entrenched in history and it's so prominent. You can't even look away, look away from it. Um, The Asian hate stuff it almost seems like it's been a, like a quietly um, rumbling storm up until kind of now, right? And now it's starting to get dangerous, very dangerous. Um, but, you know, I can't speak for the Hollywood celebrities, right? Um, I I don't know. I think he should be speaking for for all his fans, right? 
and not just for his fans, for everyone. He's got so much influence, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, and I'm not making excuses for him. I mean, he's not an, he's not Asian, right? And I'm not making excuses for him, but the whole Black Lives Matter probably hit home for him very hard, right? Um, he was more compelled to speak out as to now, you know, maybe not so much. I, I don't necessarily want to throw all this blame and shade at him. Well, there's other things to throw, throw shade at him for. Well, the thing is, okay, it doesn't have to be LeBron James, right? But just the fact that this is where, okay, outside of like the anti-Asian movement that's out on the streets, um, people getting killed, people getting put on, lit on fire and shit like that. Um, the fact that it happened in, in his league, the D-League, D-League is part of NBA. He could stop, he could spoke up about that. Yeah, and did the, did uh, Adam Silver speak out? I'm not sure if it is. I know, like, because Jeremy Lin is part of the Golden State, um, you know, Warrior uh, D-League team. So Steve Kerr talked about it. I'm not sure about, like, Silver, because that guy's a little bit slimy now. His true colors kind of show true colors. Talking about a guy that's pale as shit. Uh, but it, it's just it's just that kind of experience, and the fact that it's so cowardly, the shit that's going down. When I say cowardly, it's just like you know what, say it to my face. You know, don't go and set someone's grandpa on fire. You're setting someone that's weak, and it's these it's it's that fact that's crazy. And and the funniest thing is, the ironic thing is, these older generation is tougher than than me. Because they've, the way that they got here, they probably had to, they were refugees, maybe most like more, more likely than not, they're probably refugees. They seen real war. Like that one grandma that fucked that one white dude up. I don't know if you, you read about that story or yeah. read about that story. No, I, I, I've, I haven't read a ton of the stories and this is not, um, I just haven't gone out looking for that information. I know it's hard to read about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, no, well, the, old, just, the older I get. Just to fill you in, it's just like this grandma, this old uh, Chinese lady, she was just walking on the street doing her, you know, minding her, minding her own business. And this 40-year-old white dude comes up and sucker punches her in the face. Like, that's coward, cowardly shit. We're not talking about, like, someone 60. We're talking about someone that's, like, 75 plus. Goes and punches her in the face. Yeah, you could. And then she finds a stick and yeah. beats the shit out of him, and he's actually more fucked up than she got. Yeah, um, it's not uncommon uh, for people to pick on quote unquote weaker people, and we see, yeah, we've seen it all the time: elders, women. Um, I think when the whole, you know, terrorist thing was sweeping in like the 2000s, you have all these attacks on like uh, Muslim women because they wear the the hijab, Mm -hmm. right? It's just so easily identifiable. You know, more often than not weaker than men. Um, so they go after an attack, and it's the same same thing uh, here. Like, they're going after elderly, going after women mostly, right? It's not like they're not going after men, right, because men can fight back. Um, you know, these people who are weak-minded will do weak shit. It's, it's, um, it's kind of sad, but that, that's, that's the way that it ha- has always been. Now, what are they going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's just part of the component about it. Um, yeah, I know. Part of it is almost like, yeah, you mentioned earlier with the whole, like, you know, slavery, the Black Lives Matter, it's kind of more educated. Um, people are more educated in that sense about it. Like the struggles that we, Black, Black American, Black North American people experience. Um, I think it's just more so, you know, just personal, personal opinion. I'm not sure if it's true, but, you know, Asians aren't known they're, they're not looked at as a threat in that sense like physical threat you know 
you know what I mean? Um, we're just known as people are seen as people that are obedient and willing to stay in line. We're not there to ruffle any feathers. You know, that typical business case where Japanese people, they don't like a nail sticking out. They're going to hammer and make sure everyone's the same kind of stuff. And that's, you know, that's that's what everyone thinks of, of an Asian person, right? They're not going to go in there and, yeah. you know, mention anything and, and stand out and make themselves seen. Yeah, part of that is probably cultural. Um, I mean, here I am explaining it to you, right? P- part of it is probably cultural, but a, a lot of it is also like, think about what our previous generation had to do to try and fit in, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think, I mean, my circumstance is different. Um, you know, probably that whole slavery thing is like way, way, way back, right? But um, my parents came here like through sponsorship, right? My my dad's um, older siblings came here uh, for like a better life, pretty much. They they probably joined this program to come here, brought over all the siblings, and they all live happily ever after, right? Um, I think in North America, all this stuff that was done to to black people over those years and the system that's set up against them, and then you kind of you have Asian people coming in. They're seen as like kind of the model immigrant, right? And I think that it's always been that term has always been thrown around, model immigrant, mm-hmm. right? Um, part of it might be also a language barrier. You came in like I'm just going to agree to do stuff because I don't really understand what you're saying. <laughs> you're not going to understand what I'm saying, so I'm just we're just gonna we're just gonna do what we got to do. We're gonna be quiet and, and get our shit done, right? Um, I think. It's just a kind of a different, whole different setup, and a whole different situation. Um, but they did so much to kind of um, fit in, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think things that I've, I think, mentioned to a few people. I haven't wanted to really talk about it to a lot of people. It's just like you guys can see that, you know, they don't like you either, right? They kind of tolerate you. They're like, well, you know, we like you as long as you're pleasing us, right? But the moment we can scapegoat you, we'll scapegoat you. And it's not just white people. COVID thing. Um, Mm-hmm. Hey, the same thing for the other side too. There's there's going to be Asian people that are racist against black people just because, yeah. right? Just because they see you know you know crime or drugs or whatever, and you know blame it all on them, right? It's it goes both ways, um, but I think that the that we've all got to stick together, right? We saw it during the whole Black Lives Matters movement, um, you know there was people of different races coming out there. I saw Asian people out there too, um, just representing, you know, I want to see the same in reverse, right? I, I'm sure in Atlanta, when they had the spa shooting, the mayor is black. It's a, Atlanta is a mostly black city too. And I believe there's people that went out there and say, Hey, this is not right. Right. But I think you need more of a voice in that too. It needs to, it needs to be more prominent. Yeah. I mean, it's, we have, Obviously not the biggest number, but it's better to be together than than broken broken up in that sense. But yeah, like I mean, they'll they'll take whatever whatever works, right? It's just typical, you know, like you said, model citizen. We're not going to talk about it. It's just a different way. I get it with the whole Black Lives Matter systematic thing. You know, there's a ceiling for for Asian people, right? And, and you. You know, obviously we're, we're moving, everyone's moving towards breaking that with this whole diversification thing. Yeah. Who knows? We'll, we'll see where, where it takes. It's just like, like you said, there's always something new that's going on. It's just another move. It's just another news that that's going to be hanging around. Who knows how long it's going to be for, right? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how this thing gets 
more steam, right? I mean, it'll get steam once Asian people start fighting back. But is that what we want, right? It's it's a tricky thing because, you know, black people are fighting back, right? You see unarmed black people getting shot. Um, you see all these massacres, like black church getting shot up by like mass shooters or whatever. And you get the police killing unarmed black people and getting acquitted. They take to the streets, and I'm not saying all that uh, the looting is a good thing. It's definitely not. But you know they're fighting back, and there's dollars being lost. There's you know violence or whatever, and I'm not condoning any of that. But it gets media attention. Uh, with that media attention, you get celebrity attention. I, I'm, I'm not sure whether this is something that we even want, even though it's for a cause that's important. Right. We don't want people to be, you know, arbitrarily violent against a group of people for no reason. Yeah. Man, and it's, yeah, it's just complicated. Everything's just crazy complicated in a sense. As Asians living here, it's funny enough, right? Like, you have, if you're an Asian living here, chances are you're running away from, from your circumstances in the past, which could be in China or whatever. Um, and you come here, but because China's doing so well in the last about 20 years, opening up, they're they're thriving. They're they're trying to overtake and trying to have a bigger say on a global, you know, global landscape. That now we're suffering because we have the same skin shape, skin color. We look like yeah. people over there. It's hard, right? And I think you know, I went went home. I think last week or the week before, my mom asked me, it's like, you know, what do your friends think about this whole, um, you know, the whole, I think it was the, the spa shooting, right? Like, oh, you have a lot of Asian friends. What do they think about it? I'm like, I didn't ask them. I didn't talk about this with them. Like, do you know how, like, they don't talk to me about every single, like, unarmed black person being shot, right? This might be, this might be somewhat new to them. But it's not something necessarily that I feel comfortable talking about or that I would like, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask? How do you feel about this? Not good. That's the answer, right? Um, Tell her to listen to this pod. <laughs> I, I think that would be the end of it. Um, that would be the end of this pod. Never, never underestimate the power of a mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess like in a sense... Yeah, well, the fact is, it's, it's just never been violent. It hasn't been violent in, to that extent where people are, are going out there and purposely shooting at us or unarmed people, right? Um, again, cowardly move because those spas are all covered up and they don't know who the hell is out there. Um, yeah, I guess it is like a conversation that's going on. You know, that goes on the news. It's kind of good. You know, sadly, there's probably going to be another situation like that because that dude probably sparked someone, uh, someone else's uh, initiative to kind of go and, and do something about it as well, or do something about it in their mind. Like, what, what yeah, I was, you know, I was actually, you know, somewhat, you know, being facetious about this. This was like maybe a month to six weeks ago, with uh, chatting with a couple of my friends, and I just said, you know. Once USA lifts the lockdowns, you're going to have like all these mass shootings because like people have been sitting on their gun and their ammunition for a whole year, just chilling out. Like people are gangster crazy. And like, lo and behold, like the next, the next two weeks, we have like two major mass shootings in the United States and there's going to be more to come. And, and that's what I'm afraid of. shooting happening and you know it was just at a grocery store and it was all these different random people that got shot or whatever it's like no they came they hunted us down they killed us because of how we look or how we pray or whatever and it could happen anywhere where there's guns 
Yeah. Anywhere where there's not guns. I mean, people can travel, right? So it could happen anywhere. I don't feel safe going anywhere because of how I look. I can't change it. That's how it is. That's that's not fun. That's not that's really scary. Yeah. And with the lockdown lift and chances are you don't have to wear a mask, so they can tell much quicker what race we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think this is a good, Yeah, it's a sad state. Yeah. I don't know. I think this is a good spot. <laughs> we, 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 you know, I, I, I was, I'm actually surprised. Got into a little bit more more of a serious note than anticipated. Yeah. How did we go from brass rails to... Anything I necessarily wanted to talk about Anyway, so well, I guess you, you full, did all the heavy lifting. Full circle, we went from brass rails to the to the spas. Yeah, got to save the spas, people. I mean, it's a public service. It's um, shame on that guy. Yeah. All right. Well, it was nice catching up with you. Um, hopefully, next time when we do this, we won't have like three thousand plus cases. Yeah, I mean, we've gone from saying next time we do this, we'll do it in person to let's hope the cases are under three hundred, three under three thousand. So well, the funny thing is, like, that's the state of where we're in right well, now. We went from yeah, you, you know what, we're gonna just max out all of our emails to use this uh, remote podcast service to a point where we're like, you know what, fuck it, we have to finally pay money for this. That's the commitment and. We don't make commitments very easily. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you soon, man. Peace. All right. Peace.